John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. Hear the word of the Lord. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is the word of the Lord. We're in a three-part series that we're calling Abide. And what we have seen as a theme in the, in the Gospel of John is that there are three kind of statements that the Apostle John writes about that Jesus makes. And the first one is this, abide in my word and prove to be my disciples. The second one is abide in my love so that the world will know that you are my disciples. And the third one is that we abide that we, that we may be able to bear much fruit. Now what we've said is this, is that as followers of Jesus, our deepest desire is to bear fruit for God, to do things for God, for Him to live through us. But, but, but where the, the, we go off the rails a lot of times is that we, we do not remain in Jesus and we try to do things for Jesus. And so bearing fruit in Christ um, is, is the aim for us. But we cannot do that apart from abiding in His Word and abiding in Jesus' love. And so we're wrapping this thing up today to talk about that. Uh, so I'm going to give you a little bit of the background of John chapter 15 as we're just kind of uh, delving into it today. So uh, the background is this, is that Jesus and His disciples uh, have just had the Last Supper and they are in the upper room in Jerusalem. They are in town for the Passover feast. So a bunch of boys from Galilee have come down to Jerusalem and they've had the, uh, arguably the, the most profound experience in their life where Jesus has said, I'm the Lamb of God. And, uh, and they are wrapping up their meal. And, uh, and the end of John 14 says that they, are, they have left uh, and they are uh, going out to what we know as the Garden of Gethsemane. So they would go through the streets of Jerusalem, past the temple on the east side of the city, uh, down to the Kidron Valley and over to the Mount of Olives where the Garden of Gethsemane is located. And that's where Jesus, as you know, uh, would be betrayed. He would be sold um, for 30 pieces of silver. And we pick up here because the question is, why does Jesus start talking about fruit on the way 
to the Garden of Gethsemane. Because Jesus is always teaching and using everyday objects that these disciples will be familiar with to teach them and show them spiritual truths. And uh, Josephus, who was an, uh, uh, wrote about the history of the church and the history of Jewish culture during this time, uh, said that in this temple, on the outside of it, there was a, a large golden vine that had fruit that was as big as people <laughs> painted on the outside of it. And so a lot of people believe that as they were walking past that temple, Jesus probably pointed that out and said, hey, let me tell you about who the true vine is. And that's what Jesus goes on to see, because we see in places like Psalm 80 and Isaiah chapter 5 that Israel is known as the vine in the Old Testament. They're the ones that are connected to God. But Jesus makes a profound statement in John 15.1 where he says, I am the true vine, the definite article, true vine. I am the one that is going to connect you to the Father. Now this is different than what the Jews believed in the Older Testament. They thought they were already connected. They didn't need an intercessor. But Jesus says, you're going to need me. I am the true vine. So what is it, John, what, what, is, this, what is this talking about? This, this passage of, of Scripture in John chapter 15, basically we could sum it up by saying this. God wants to do more through you than you can imagine. I'm not saying that to, to build you up uh, in, a, in, a, in a false kind of sense. Uh, I'm saying that because that's what the Scriptures tell us. That He wants to do far more than you can imagine through your life. But here's the problem. Uh, he will do nothing through you of kingdom significance unless He does it through His Son. So that's the tension. God desires to do much through your life, but He will do nothing through you apart from the work of Jesus. And how do we know that? Uh, we know that from John chapter 14. There are two, two scriptures, two verses there that I want to read to you that lead into John 15. John 14, 12 says this, Truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And he goes on to say this. This is profound. Greater works than these will he do. Because I'm going to the Father. So Jesus is telling His disciples, I'm going to do more through you than what you've seen Me do. Now keep in mind, Jesus has been with His disciples walking along the road, going through the villages, and His disciples have witnessed Him raise people from the dead. They have witnessed Him heal sick people. They have witnessed Him cast out demons. They've witnessed Him walk on water. And Jesus says, greater works than this am I going to do through you. Think about that. That's what Jesus desires to do through us as His people, as we're connected to the true vine. John 14, 26 goes on to say this, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The way that He's going to do great things is through the work of His Spirit. And what's the work of the Spirit? The work of the Spirit is to reflect and to remind us of the work of Jesus. The Spirit is always whispering in our ear the words of the Gospel, convincing our hearts that they are true. And that is how we will bear much fruit, church. We bear much fruit by coming back to Jesus over and over and over again. And apart from Him, we do nothing. So what I want to do is I want to answer four questions that come out of John 15 as I look at it. And those four questions are this. What is fruit bearing? What is fruit? And what does it mean to bear fruit? Uh, two, how do we bear fruit? What's that actually look like? Three, what keeps us from bearing fruit? And four, 
Who is the fruit for? And if I could give you a big idea in a sentence, it would be this. The fruit of your life reveals the treasure of your heart. The fruit of your life reveals the treasure of your heart. So let's dig in to that first question. What is fruit bearing? What does it mean to bear fruit? Uh, Here's what I'm convinced of is that every single one of us are bearing fruit. Every single, each and every one of us, our lives are producing something. And they are producing whatever the soil that we've put around our lives and sank ourselves into is nourishing us with. Our lives are producing something. They always have. They always will. Jesus says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So that means whenever you say something that's maybe bitter or angry or hurtful, uh, you actually did mean to say it. That's where your heart was in the moment. We're always producing something with our lives. The question is, what what are our lives producing? Fruit bearing above all is this. It is an evidence of Christ's presence in us. The type of fruit that Jesus is talking about is an evidence of His Spirit alive in and through us. So, it's, it's, to boil it down, it's produce. That's what fruit is, right? When you go to the market, it's produce. That, that plant has produced something and you have purchased it. That's why you go to the produce department. It's the result of human actions uh, in our lives. Uh, this is why uh, Jesus says in Matthew 3.8, uh, as these guys, these, these religious guys are coming down to receive the baptism of repentance by John the Baptist, um, he says something along the lines of, you brood of vipers. Another, I don't know if we have English for that, but it's pretty harsh. You brood of vipers bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So what's he saying? You, you have the words of repentance, but you don't have the heart of repentance. Your, your, your heart is far off from what your actions perceive to be. So the, the word did not match their heart. So repentance is a move of the heart and affections on the inside before it is ever fruit on the outside, is what Jesus is saying. That The Holy Spirit moves us to something before our lives produce something Spiritual fruit is what God produces through us. So there are, I want to talk quickly about just John 15, I think, gives, gives us two specific examples of what fruit bearing specifically is. And the way that I'm going to talk about is this, fruit on the inside and fruit on the outside. Now, this is not an, uh, an exhaustive discussion on fruit bearing from the New Testament or the Old Testament. It's just what I see in John 15. So John 15, 9, this is fruit on the inside. He says this, Abide in my love as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. So, so the Scriptures give us this, this pretty detailed expression of what fruit is in Galatians chapter 5. And he says, there's two differences in the fruit that your life produces. Um, either there's the fruit of the flesh, or there's the fruit of the Spirit. And he says things like this, the fruit of the flesh are immorality, idolatry, uh, uh, division, uh, jealousy, anger, so on and so forth. You can read about those. That's what your flesh produces. Those are the postures that come from us when we're walking in our flesh. And, and as much as I would like to say that that was over and done with when we became believers, it's not. There's still this battle for the flesh in us. But he says the fruit of the Spirit is completely different than this. Here's the fruit of the Spirit. It's love, 
That's what John says right here. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. This is what the Spirit of God produces in us. And so, so he says this is the fruit that we experience uh, on the inside. Now, does it have outward manifestations? Sure. But you cannot love someone, as we talked about last week, unless you have first been loved. You cannot have joy in life to show to others unless you have received joy from God, being, being happy in you. There's no way that you can give away what you have not received. So there's this fruit on the inside that Jesus wants to produce in you. That is His desire is to produce this in you, and He gives it to you as a gift as you're connected to Him. Also, there's this fruit on the outside. And I think this fruit on the outside is really talking about the conversion of sinners. That people would come to faith in Jesus. And the reason why I believe this is because of what John 15, 6 says. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are, are gathered and they're thrown into the fire and they're burned. So what is he talking about? He's talking about two realities of fruit bearing. Judgment and redemption. So, so judgment is, is, what, is what we all receive. The question is, are we finding ourselves in the vine that Jesus of Jesus? We're the vine of the flesh, the vine of the Spirit or the vine of the flesh. And so, you know, we've said that faith is evidence of the Holy Spirit working in and through us. Um, and, and if this never leads to the conversion of sinners, it cannot be connected to the true vine who is Jesus. Now, what I'm not saying is, is that, that evangelism looks the same in each and every one of you. Because it doesn't. Different people have varied giftings and uh, varied amounts of those giftings. But the desire in the heart of God is that people would stay in, in Christ, in Jesus. This is why, you know, when you look at the Scriptures, it talks about this language of grafting in unbelievers to the vine. So, church, the work that we do a lot of times, as the Spirit works in us, and He bears fruit inside of us, and it comes out of us, is all about us inviting and participating in the work of God to graft in unbelievers, to be converted, to see and experience the love of God in profound ways. This is what it means to bear fruit. Fruit on the inside, fruit on the outside. This is what Jesus wants to do in and through you. So my question to you is this, is what does that look like for you today? What does it look like for you to bear fruit? You feel this tension inside of you where the flesh is waging war against the Spirit of God living inside of you. Are there people in your life now that, that you have a particular place in their life to bear witness to the goodness of God? And maybe you're just walking in disobedience in that. God is not asking you to do anything miraculous. He's asking you to bear witness to the fruit that he's bearing in your heart. You're just one beggar showing another beggar where to find the bread. Somebody famous said that. I don't know who it was. It wasn't me. That's all we're doing. We're bearing witness to the work of God and what he's done in our lives. That's what evangelism is. If it's anything other than that, it's not from God. We're just telling people what Jesus has done in and through us. And sometimes that's in very difficult times in our lives. And other times, God opens up very specific opportunities for you to do so. That's what it means to bear fruit. Second question, how do we bear fruit? This will be our longest point today. 
Uh, it's really three things. We remain in the vine. We submit to pruning. And we bear much fruit. We remain in the vine. We submit to pruning. And we bear much fruit. It is a total package to bear fruit. That's what it means. So let's look at it. Uh, we remain in the vine. First, first part here. Uh, so abide simply means to remain. It's to stay put. And as we've said, the hardest thing that you and I will ever do is to stay in Jesus. Now, lucky for us, the Holy Spirit is like a magnetic force that draws us there. And we do stay in Jesus like that. But there is an act of the will that we must choose to continue to follow Jesus as well. To choose to, to see the Spirit come to life instead of just the flesh in us. As a pastor... One of the things that I never want to uh, hear um, as a description for my life is, man, I know he's just always so busy. He's just always so busy. And I, some of you have said that to me before, and I appreciate this sentiment. But, but what, it, uh, what it can, when we, when we describe our lives as busy, um, I would like to propose to you that I think it is antithetical to abiding. Busyness is antithetical to divide. It is, it, is, it is diametrically opposed to what it means to abide. Because abiding always comes from a place of deep rest. And people that are experiencing the deep rest of God, the, the rest that Jesus gives to us when He says, Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. That's what it means to abide, is to experience that rest. Does, does that mean that you're not active in ministry and in work? No. You work from a place of rest instead of for a place of rest. That's what it means to abide in Jesus. And the, the, the busy person that's always active, doing lots of things, cannot experience rest because rest takes time. Abiding takes time. You can't microwave it. Busyness, I would propose to you, is a response of a searching heart of a heart that has not found the place of rest that Jesus describes. Now, none of us do this perfectly. But my hope is that New City Church would be a church that, of people that are filled with, with margin to be able to show love that they didn't plan for. My hope for you is that you would be able to step into those moments when Jesus invites you to experience His goodness with other people that you don't have on your, your calendar. Because you are working from a place of rest and you're secure in Jesus. And one of the lies that we are tempted to believe is that busyness is success. If I have a full calendar, if I have lots of meetings, if I'm very active, then that means I'm successful. The problem is, is that if we use that formula, Jesus was not successful. How many times do you see Jesus slipping away, going up to the mountain to pray? You know, trying to avoid the crowd because he needs to be with his Father. That doesn't mean he always avoided the activity of ministry. It's just that he was fueled by the Father to engage and give the Father heart of God away to the world. He had to spend time with the Father. To abide means to remain. When we stop having time to connect with Jesus, we cannot give the rest and love of Jesus away. To abide means to remain. And you know what I have discovered as I'm learning to abide, just like you, is that um, I am frequently surprised at how little I actually do to produce fruit. You think about it. Bearing fruit is an incredibly passive activity. 
You think, when's the last time you looked at an apple tree and said, man, look at that branch really doing a good job? We don't do that. The branches, I mean, you don't even notice the branch. You just notice the fruit. We remain in Jesus and He does all of the work through us. And the Father shapes us in that process. So my, my hope for you is that as you seek to have margin in your life so that you can abide, that you would be surprised at how much God does through you. That you would be so surprised at how much He wants to do through you as you stay in Him. Second, second uh, point is this, is that um, we're, we're going to get pruned. We have to submit to pruning. Um, so John 15.2 says this, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes that it may bear more fruit. <clears throat> the process uh, of, of pruning a, a, a vineyard uh, involves several stages and takes tons of time. I mean, there's uh, you know, pruning the tips, there's, there's thinning out the branches so that they can have optimal uh, achievement in their fruit bearing. And I just got to confess to you is I'm a super lazy pruner. So here's, here's what pruning at my house looks like. We've got these, I don't know if you guys know what a crepe myrtle tree is. You know, they're like all over the place. We have these crepe myrtle trees and like you can't kill those things. They just keep growing. And so, you know, my neighbors are out there with their little hand shears like shaping the crepe myrtle. You know how, how I uh, prune that thing? I start the chainsaw up and I take it, you know, just about this height, just and miraculously, the thing still grows after that, but it would grow a lot better if I took a lot more time in pruning it. I, I think um, our Father, who is the vine dresser, who prunes us out of love, uh, is a lot more careful than I am with my crepe myrtle trees. Because I know that there are some, uh, there's some, uh, some, bad ex- some, some bad fruit that comes from the way that I prune. Think about this. Your Father in Heaven has no mixed motives as He prunes you. Think about that. It's not like, ah, oh, you know, I'm, I'm really concerned about what he's going to look like, and man, what are they going to think? He has no mixed motives. His only motive is 100% love as he cuts the branches of your life away so that you will bear more and much fruit. Our Father in heaven is like the meticulous gardener on the corner of the street that I live on. This guy is out in the street. You know, as I leave for a meeting at 6.30 in the morning, when I come home for lunch, and when I leave in the evening, he is always out checking on his plants, seeing the incremental growth that they have produced each day. And, and showing his, his love and concern for a beautiful lawn and garden. That's how Jesus, that's how the Father prunes us as we stay in Jesus. I love this quote from Amy Carmichael. I shared this some years ago with you guys, but I want to share it again. Listen to the heart of God. Through pruning. Amy Carmichael says this What prodigal waste it appears to see scattered on the floor the bright green leaves and the bare stem bleeding in a hundred places from the sharp knife. But with a tried and trusted husbandman or vine dresser, there is not a random stroke in it all. Listen to this nothing cut away which it would not have been a loss to keep and a gain to lose. Do you believe that about your Father in Heaven? That there's nothing that He's cut away, taken away, not opened a door in your life that would not have been a loss to keep and a gain to lose. Some of you are experiencing tremendous 
pruning right now. You look at the ground underneath you and all you see is bright green branches and you wonder, where is God? Why are you doing this to me, Father? Why am I so lonely? Why does no one get me? And the Father says this to us. We could gather this from Scripture. I'm doing this in love, child. You've got to trust me. You've got to remain in me because there's not a random stroke in it all. Nothing I'm doing you, I'm doing to you is not loving. I'm making you into the image of Jesus. Think about this. No healthy thing in the history of the world grows fast. Tell me one thing that grows super fast that's healthy. Nothing. I mean, this is why, think about this. When you go to the supermarket, um, we now have a marketing term for buying things that have actually been planted naturally. It's called organic, right? I mean, I got to think that people 100 years ago are just laughing. You know, if they were around, they'd be laughing at us. It's like, man, you're just farming. It's just getting what you put in the ground. You're getting it out. Our body, and, and there's reasons, you know, I'm not going to give you a health lesson because you don't need that, but it's messing with our bodies and the growth of our bodies, right? Our bodies are made to consume healthy things, and when we try to short-circuit that by putting things that make the crops grow faster, uh, it messes with us because fruit-bearing takes time. Always has, always will. Think about this. If Jesus, if it took Jesus three years, arguably, to disciple his men to get them ready for the mission to take the gospel to the world, why do we think that we can short-circuit that in any other way? than giving our life to other people and abiding in Jesus. There's no other way around it. You can't microwave this thing. It takes time. Fruit bearing is produced through pain. No way around it. You'll never meet a person that has borne fruit for Jesus by staying in Him and not experience tremendous pain. So the question is, like, have you been wounded or when are you going to get wounded? Because the loving Father always trims us up to make us look like Jesus. Malcolm Muggeridge in his book, Jesus Rediscovered, says this, Suppose you eliminated suffering, what a dreadful place the world would be. I would almost rather eliminate happiness. The world would be the most ghastly place because everything that corrects the tendency of this unspeakable little creature, man, to, be, to feel overimportant and overpleased with himself would disappear. He's bad enough now, but he would be absolutely intolerable if he never suffered. We don't know what's best for us, but our Father in Heaven does. And we are in Him, and He is shaping you into the image of Jesus so that your life can count. That is the way forward for us. Lastly, we were, ba- we were made to bear much fruit. No- notice that Jesus uh, in John 15 doesn't say you're just going to bear a little bit of fruit. And it's going to be evidence of my spirit. He says, I have made you to bear much fruit, more than you can ask or imagine. And, and we're tempted to look back at the pruning process and to think of it as punishment. Pruning isn't punishment, it's love. And we need more of it than we can imagine. But, but Jesus wants to bear much fruit through you, church. You don't get to determine what that looks like and when it comes, though.
So we got, that's why we got to stay in Jesus. Thirdly, what keeps us from bearing fruit? What keeps us from remaining in Jesus? I think it's real simple. It's, it's the unforgivable sin that Jesus talks about, which is unbelief. It's the only thing that cannot be forgiven because there's no faith present. And this is the question for us all. More than anything, we desire to bear fruit and to make our lives count uh, in the kingdom of God. And I think in, in Numbers, the book of Numbers in the Bible, uh, chapters 13 and 14, there is this, there's this picture for us to get our, our minds around. And maybe an example of what it looks like sometimes when, when we don't bear fruit. So here's the scenario. There's 12 spies that are, that are sent out from the wilderness. The Israelites have been wandering in the wilderness. But God promised Abraham this promised land, the land of Canaan, the land that's flowing with milk and honey and an abundance of fruit. But because of their unbelief, they are wandering in the, in the wilderness. And so God says, hey, you know, it's, 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 you know, maybe it's time for you guys to finally enter that promised land that I have given to you. So he sends out uh, 12 men, one from each, each tribe. Uh, two of these guys are Joshua and Caleb. And they, uh, they, they sneak over into the land of Canaan and they, they, uh, they observe what's going on in the land of Canaan for 40 days. And Moses gives them very specific instructions on how they're to report back to him. Here's what he says. He says, hey, tell us the condition of the land. Tell us what kind of land we got there. What kind of soil is in the land of Canaan? Tell us the condition of the people. You know, are they strong or weak? Many or few? Tell us the condition of their community. Do they have big cities that are fortified with walls? Or do they live in tents? And lastly, and I think most importantly, tell us about the condition of the land. Is it good or bad? Does it bear fruit or not? Uh, and the way that he tells them to test this is to bring back some of the fruit from the land. Bring back some of the fruit. And, and what happens is the, peop- the spies are all amazed at the fruit. The fruit is so big that they have to get some poles to bring back the grapes, and two guys have to carry it back to Israel. I mean, can you imagine they're discreetly kind of going through Canaan, you know, trying to look like one of the people, but they got this big fruit on their shoulder walking through, headed back to the wilderness. And they bring it back, um, and, and they were discouraged about the fruit. They were discouraged about what God wanted to give them. It's amazing. They were, they, they were discouraged about the size of the people there. They were discouraged about the strength of the cities in the land of Canaan. Now, they should have been excited because God has promised to give them this land. But they were discouraged because they knew they couldn't take the land and bear the fruit alone. They knew they couldn't do it. They knew that nothing inside of them, this nomadic people living in the wilderness, they knew they couldn't take these cities But the disconnect was they thought they had to do it alone. Listen to Numbers 14, verses 7 and 8. The land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, He will bring us into the land and give it to us. A land that flows with milk and with honey. See, Caleb and Joshua were jacked about it. They were excited. They were ready to enter the land. But the rest of them did not believe that God could give that to them. And my question to you Uh, in the same kind of frame is this. This is exactly what Jesus wants to do with you. I think that's why he pointed out the life-size grapes as they were walking to the Garden of Gethsemane. He wants to bear much fruit through you, but will you let him? Will you have faith to believe that he can do that through you? And will you let him have his way 
with you as he makes you into the image of Jesus? Will you let him have his way through the difficulty, through the twists and turns, through the dark nights of the soul that he's going to take you through in love? Will you let him have his way so that you can bear much fruit? Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said this, we must allow ourselves to be interrupted by God. A lot of times we look at the path that we have laid out for ourselves and we get really frustrated when somebody changes that plan, when some circumstance changes that plan. But it is God, because He loves us, interrupting that plan to show us what He wants to do through us each and every time. God, God interrupts, but He loves to bear through, through His people. So here's my question to you, just kind of bring this all home. Where is it in your life right now that you are trying to produce fruit? So an, an evidence of God's love, an evidence of God's presence through the Holy Spirit. Where is it you're trying to produce that apart from the work of God? I'm going to let that sit while I tell you a quick story. A pastor named Paul Tripp up in Philadelphia uh, shares this example of, um, <clears throat> of this uh, hypothetical situation about this tree that's in their backyard. And, and he says, imagine this. Imagine that I had this this beautiful tree is an apple tree, we'll say, out in the backyard. And it was one of those trees that it was, you know, you got a, you got a window, you got a country house, a window, and it's got a beautiful tree just over the sink, right? You know, a tree that you can look out at while you're washing up the dishes and kind of get lost as you gaze into the beauty of it. But imagine that tree, year after year, never produced any fruit. And imagine that, you know, he says, imagine my wife, is a little frustrated with the tree. And so I've tried all of these ways to make the tree produce fruit, but it won't produce it. And so one day I go to the hardware store and, and I get a, a hammer and I get a pack of nails and then I head over to the supermarket and I get six bushels of apples. <laughs> and so I head home. Wife is not home. She'll be home in a little bit. I get my 12-foot ladder. A-frame, of course, for safety. And I go up and I climb up the ladder and I begin nailing the apple bushels to the trees. And then I take down the ladder, put it in the garage, and, and go into the kitchen. My wife arrives and she looks out the window and she says, wow, look at those apples out there. Look at how beautiful they are. And because it's such a distance away, she can't tell that they're nailed on. She says, Paul, how do those apples get up there? And you know how this goes. Time tells that those apples are not abiding in that tree at all. They have been stapled and nailed onto the tree. And when we try to do ministry apart from the work of the Spirit working in us, we are doing the exact same thing. And it is fruit that does not abide. Where are you apple nailing at in your life right now? You're trying to show something that really isn't there. Where is it for you? Because the invitation is to remain in Jesus. And you don't have to worry about the outcome of your life. Because your work is to remain. And lastly, who is the fruit for? Who's the fruit for in your life? Jesus wants to bear much fruit. Who's it for? Let's close by reading John 15, 9-11. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, listen to this, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So who's the fruit for? Well, it's for the Father. It's for the Father's glory to show the Father's worth 
As we stand and bear fruit in Christ, people stand in amazement as they gaze upon our God in heaven. But not only that, it's for us. The fruit is for our Father and the fruit is for us because He says in abiding and bearing fruit, we receive a fullness of joy. Joy is what we're all after. A sustained happiness that no circumstance can take away. A non-circumstantial joy. Bearing fruit that gives glory to the Father is in your best interest. Because Jesus wants to impart to you a fullness of joy. Let's pray together. Father, we, uh, God, we've been challenged to abide in Your Word, to stay in it, to, to, to surrender to Your love, and to bear fruit. So Jesus, I thank You for the the abiding that's happening in New City Church now. I pray that my friends that maybe are not yet seeing fruit in their lives would remain in You. I pray that my friends that maybe are seeing fruit the way that they expected it or didn't would remain in You. That they wouldn't start thinking that it's about them. But they would say, this is for my Father's glory. And that out of that relationship, we would receive an abundance of joy to keep us remaining uh, in You. Because the fruit of our life reveals the treasure of our heart. And Jesus, what we are confessing while we're in this room today is we, we just say that we want You to be the treasure of our hearts. Father, we want to be the man that sold everything that he had and bought the field that had a treasure in it. We want the Gospel to be that precious to us. We want to know You. So Father, meet us this morning. Press Yourself into us. Arrest our hearts with Your love. Help us to hang on for the ride of life that You have for us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.